Some years ago, a survey was conducted among children asking them about their observations of adults and love. And this is what we found out. When asked how adults in love typically behave, Wendy, age eight, said, well, when a person gets kissed for the first time, they fall down and they can't get up for an hour. <laughs> I know this happens. This has happened to me. Um, especially the first time Karen, yeah, it happened. When asked why does love happen between two people, Andrew, age six, says, no one really knows why it happens, but it helps if you smell good. <laughs> so we know this is true if you live in Milan. You go downtown and the beautiful people, they have this, this circumference of smelling good. It's about, it's about 10 yards around them. You know, before you get to them, you can smell them, and then after you leave, you can still smell them. Um, when asked how important looks are when it comes to love, Anita, age eight, said, if you want to be loved by someone who is not already in your family, it really helps. <laughs> when asked how to keep the love alive, Dave, age eight, said, be a good kisser. It might make your wife forget you did not take out the trash. Um, yeah. But actually... If you look at the marriage statistics, particularly in the States, they're more readily available to me in the States. I don't know what the worldwide statistics are. Uh, it seems like the adults don't really know very much more about love than the kids do. Well, 95% of all Americans will say, I do, in a traditional heterosexual marriage. Roughly 35% of those will ultimately say, I don't, and get divorced. It's apparent that the modern world has a pretty shoddy and superficial definition of what love is. Real love is profoundly deeper than merely physical attraction and emotional infatuation. While our feelings are certainly part of love, I don't discount that, they certainly are, they, they are not the deepest part of true love. As I've told you before, and as many of you have surmised, Karen loves me for many, many reasons. Um, they're really uncountable. Um, this is how lovable I am, Krista. You knew this, right? Not really? Okay. Don't say anything. <laughs> don't say anything. But one reason she really loves me is that I love chick flicks. So I don't, I don't want any comments from the guys. But I do. I, I love a good romance, Tyler. I love... Who doesn't love a good romance? Come on, who doesn't love a good romance? Well, I do, anyway. I love a good romance. I've shared this with you not too long ago, but I felt the need to share it with you again. My favorite all-time love story scene is in the movie Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, the one with Kevin Costner in it. And Kevin, uh, pardon me, Robin, is uh, telling Lady, Lady Marion uh, that the sheriff of Nottingham is, is conspiring to overthrow the king. And, and he says, Lady Marion, will you go to your king and, and tell him about this, this treason? And she says, no. He goes, won't you do it for your king? And she says, no. Anybody know what she says? She says, I'll do it for you. And the music goes up. Right? <laughs> She looks deeply in his eyes, and bam, she kisses him, right? 
It's, uh, yeah, it's my all-time favorite, you know, love scene. Not simply because it really, it does highlight, it does highlight the romantic feeling of love, but it's an expression of what love should be. She says, I will do it for you. That's really what we've been talking about last week and what we're going to talk about this week. That's what Christian marriage is. I will do it. I will do it for you. That's really what we've been talking about. When Karen and I counsel a couple about getting married, we always tell them there's one bottom line question that they must ask themselves before they marry their prospective fiancé. The question is this, after all the bells have stopped ringing, after most of the whistles have stopped blowing, after the bulk of the fireworks have exploded, beyond the sheer romance of it, the intoxicating feeling of it, and the physical heat of it, can you see yourself selflessly and sacrificially loving this person for the rest of your life? That's the question. Can you see yourself selflessly and sacrificially loving this person for the rest of your life? And also, a related question, can you see this person you propose to marry loving you like that for the rest of your life? I tell people that I counsel, if you're not really ready to do that, then you're not really ready to get married because ultimately that's what marriage is. I give myself to this person. I give myself to them. I do it for them for the rest of my life. I do it for them. Wife to husband, husband to wife. I do it for them. So, Andrew was right. Smelling good is important. Dave was right. Being a good kisser is a big deal. But Christian marriage is about selflessness and it's about sacrifice. We talked a lot about that last week. Christian marriage is an image. It is a metaphor. It is a parable of the beautiful mystery of the union between Jesus Christ and His bride. That being the church. Christian marriage is pregnant with divine purpose and divine meaning. As I told you last week, it's infinitely bigger than simply you and your potential spouse. It's bigger. If you call yourself a Christian, it's bigger. God means for it to be bigger. It's supposed to be a picture of Jesus and the church. Men, you are supposed to love your wives as Jesus has loved the church. And women, you are supposed to love your husbands as the church loves Christ. That's what it means. That's why I told you last week, I will not marry anyone I'm not convinced is a true believer. I will not do it. They can go to the state and get married or find some less discriminating pastor. I must be convinced that both parties are converted and they are willing to come together and be that parable. Be that parable. Jesus Christ and His church. It's the most beautiful love story ever told. It's the sacred romance. <laughs> the divine groom and His bride. The divine groom has come for her 
selflessly and sacrificially giving Himself up for her, and the bride has responded to Him, giving herself away to Him. This is Jesus and the church. This is Christian marriage. This is the sacred romance between God and His people. And Christian marriage is meant to image forth this beautiful reality to every unbeliever in your life. The unbeliever is supposed to watch you love your husband or love your wife and get some sense about how Jesus loves His church and how the church loves Him. That's really the essence of, of Christian marriage. Ephesians 5, you know the great text. 23-25 to For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church. He Himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself up for her. Christian marriage, it's a vulnerable, intimate, risk-taking kind of love. (laughs) You know, it's not this stupid stuff that is played up in the media. It's an absolute, unqualified, unbreakable, 100% never-look-back commitment to my husband and or to my wife. This is what Christian marriage is. You know, like how Jesus has loved you. And like, oh, how you have loved Him. That's it. That's the picture. That's the parable. That's the image of Christian marriage. That's what's at stake in the marriage that the world sees this beautiful picture of Jesus Christ and His church. Last week we saw from the context of 1 Peter chapters 2 and 3 and from the original Greek language that God has given an unequivocal call to Christian wives. 1 Peter 3.1 You guys know what it says. Let me just interject. If you weren't here last week, it would be good if you're interested in this topic, and I hope you are if you call yourself a Christian, it would be good to go out on the podcast site and download that sermon because it really sets the stage for this sermon. So if you feel like you're a little bit lost tonight, go uh, out and download the, the sermon and listen to it. But last week we saw God's crystal clear call to Christian wives. Verse 1, be submissive to your own husbands. We talked about the manufactured controversy about this and what is called the Christian church today. We won't go into that again. I do want to share with you one more time John Piper's definition of submission. Submission is the divine calling of a wife to honor and affirm her husband's leadership. It's her disposition to follow her husband's authority and inclination to yield to that authority. As we discussed Last week, some have sought to reinterpret this, although I don't think you can do it uh, with any intellectual integrity if you're going to actually stay on what the Scripture says. The Scripture is clear. God has been clear and God has said it repeatedly. Wives are to submit to their husbands. We talked about it a lot last week. We have our verse uh, before us, 1 Peter Chapter 3, 1-5, through 5, there's Ephesians 5, 22-24, there's Colossians 3, 18, there's Titus 2, 3-5. And as we learned last week, even if the wife is married to an unbeliever, she is to submit to the unbelieving husband. Does anybody remember why? 
Pardon me? A testimony. A testimony. Evangelism. It's about evangelism. We saw it in the text last week. It's about evangelism that He might, because of your beautiful, holy behavior, He might be one without a, war, uh, without a word as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. Chaste. I looked it up. It means to be pure, to be modest, to be clean. I looked up the, the Greek word translated respectful. It means to be deferential and in the right way, to be reverential. This is God's plan for the evangelization of your unbelieving husband, Christian wife. If you are married to an unbeliever, this is God's plan. This is God's plan. Your husband is your ministry. Your husband is your call. If you find yourself in that situation, in the providence of God, this is your call. And of course, we had the parenthetical comment last week, don't you dare marry an unbeliever. Don't you do it. We understand that uh, this sometimes occurs by mistake. But we understand God's Word to us. We are not to marry an unbeliever. And I don't have time to redevelop that. But as Eugene Peterson says, Christian wife, live your life of holy beauty before your unbelieving husband. Who knows? But that he might be converted. That brings us to verses 3 and 4. Let not your adornment be merely external, braiding the hair and wearing gold jewelry or putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit which is precious in the sight of God. God says effectually the same thing over in, in 1 Timothy 2, 9 and 10. Let me read it to you. Likewise, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modestly and discreetly, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly garments, but rather by means of good works. This is your adornment, Christian women. Good works. As it is proper for a woman making a claim to godliness. God says to His married daughters, it's not about how pretty you are on the outside. It's about how beautiful you are on the inside. I know the culture sends a different message, but this is the message of God. It's about how beautiful you are on the inside. This is the message that God has for us. It's not about trendy hairstyles, stylish clothes, well-matched accessories, although that's always nice. Fashionable jewelry and a nice tan. You can buy all that stuff. All that stuff's for sale. God says, I'm talking about stuff you cannot buy. I'm talking about stuff that if you had all the money in the world, you couldn't buy it. God says, I'm talking about the things I give to my daughters. It's a gift. I give it to my daughters. An unregenerate heart. Uh, pardon me, a regenerate heart. He turns that unregenerate heart into a regenerate heart. This is a gift of God. He gives you that quiet and gentle 
and sweet and submissive spirit. These are the gifts that He gives to His adopted daughters. God is not excluding the stuff you can buy, but He says, remember modesty and good taste. He says, don't be preoccupied with that. Be preoccupied with your heart before God. Women, be preoccupied with that. Not the outward stuff. I mean, yeah, we want you to, you know, look good. Of course, that's good. It's good to look good. It's good to look nice. But it's godly to, to be nice on the inside. And this is what God is saying to Christian women in this text. God says, be preoccupied with the fruit of My Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. He says, this is precious to Me. The gifts He gives, He wants to see you employ them. He's given you these gifts. If you're born again, you have these gifts. Let these gifts be your adornment, beloved. Yes, comb your hair. Of course. We want you to comb your hair. I'd comb mine if I had any. You know, spirituality is not to be confused with sloppiness, right? But God calls us to something bigger, something deeper, something more profound. He calls us to adorn particularly the women themselves in good works. As I read, as I read 1 Peter 3, verses 5 and 6, I want you to listen for the necessary and indispensable foundation a woman must have if she's going to obey God regarding submission to her husband. Okay? I want you to listen. I want you to tell me this is a test. So, we'll see how good you do. I want to know the necessary and indispensable foundation that a woman must have if she is going to actually do the Word in this regard. Verse 5, 1 Peter chapter 3, For in this way in former times the holy women also who hoped in God used to adorn themselves being submissive to their own husbands. Thus Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling Him Lord, and you have become her children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. So did you hear it? What is the foundation of marital submission for the Christian woman? Is it her own strength? Is it her fatalistic resignation? Is it her hope in her husband? Someone tell me what it is. It's her hope in God. <laughs> you know, anytime God calls us to do a hard thing, and for a wife to submit to her husband in this culture, sometimes with a difficult husband, it can be a very hard thing. I understand that. I'm not making light of that. But anytime God calls us to do a hard thing, He says what? Look at me! That's what He always says. Look at me! And then do what I told you. You can do what I told you because I am who I am. Because I'm an awesome God, a sovereign God, an almighty God, a faithful God, an omniscient God. I know what happens tomorrow. I know you can submit to your husband because I am who I am. You can't do it, ladies. Nor, husbands, can you love your wife as you're called to love her. 
if you're not looking at God. You, not only can you not do it, you will not desire to do it, and you won't do it unless you're looking at God. And I love this. This is the best, in my view, one of the best parts of this, this sermon. Peter mentions Sarah and Abraham's, uh, Abraham's wife, and no doubt he was a difficult man to submit to at times. Would you agree? Can you imagine the conversation? He came home one afternoon and said, God has spoken to me. We're moving. Pack it up. And, she said, and Sarah says, well, where are we going? And Abraham says, I have no idea. But pack it up. We're leaving. Can you imagine, ladies, the questions? The questions that you would have. And the concerns you would have. How was Sarah able to do that? Someone tell me from the text. She hoped in God. It was much less about Abraham than it was about God. It was about God. Beloved, this is how, ladies, this is how you can be submissive to a difficult husband because it's really about God. That's how you do it. That's, that's how you do it. You guys know the other accounts. There are two other accounts in Genesis where Abraham passes Sarah off as his sister because he's afraid. Now, can you imagine Sarah's view of this turn of events? Can you imagine? How is she able to submit to her husband in this scenario? Her God is God. That's how. Her God is sovereign. Her God will protect her. And God did protect her, didn't He? I don't want you to miss this, ladies. I don't want you to miss this. You can't do this. It's like we say so often, you can't do the Word of God unless you're looking at God. Unless you're so filled up with God. Who He is and how awesome He is and how good He is. You can't do the Word of God. You won't do the Word of God. You'll shrink back every time. Every time it starts to get hard, you'll back off and say, no, I'm not going there. If you're looking in the mirror, you, won't, you, won't, you can't be a disciple if you're looking in the mirror. The only way you can be a disciple is if you're looking at God. And listen, this is discipleship for you ladies. This is discipleship. This is part of your ministry. So Sarah submitted to her husband. This was her adornment, her submission. And it pleased the Lord. She was using the gifts that He had given to her. And it was precious in the sight of God. <laughs> it's not that hard, beloved. Just do what God says in the strength that He gives you. It's not that hard. I have so many people that I speak to down through the years in my ministry career, and it's like, Christianity's so hard. No, it's not hard. It's actually believing God and doing what God says. It's actually trusting God. It's what we see Sarah doing in both of these instances. She trusted the Lord. She hoped in God. It's so what we've been talking about for the whole chapter here in chapter 2. How do Christians submit to corrupt human governments? How do we do it? Because we hope in a sovereign God. Amen? How do Christians submit to unjust earthly masters? How do we do it? Employees or, or someone else who has authority over you, over you. 
How do we do it? If you're an employee of an unjust master, how do we do it? We hope in God. And this is what the Lord is saying to wives who are married to us imperfect husbands. Hope in God. Hope in God is what we learned about Jesus Christ about six weeks ago. You remember when we hit 1 Peter 2.23. How was Jesus able to submit uh, to the cross in all humility? Remember, He entrusted Himself to the Father. This is, how, this is how disciples live. This is how Christians prosecute the Word of God. They, you simply entrust yourself to God, a sovereign God. You obey Him. It looks hard. It looks impossible. It looks crazy. It looks wacky. But you obey Him. Because He's God. This is what He says. I'm going to do it. It makes no sense to me right now, but I'm going to do it. Why? Because I hope in Him. I hope in this great God. Beloved, I tell you this all the time, but you have license. You have license. Not simply in your marriage, but in the world at large. <laughs> Just believe God as big as you dare. And never look back Christian wife, submit to your husband because God is who He is. And did you notice there's no fear? Verse 6, no fear. Why is there no fear? Someone tell me. Why is there no fear? Again, God is God. I can trust God. I hope in God. There is no fear because He is my God, He will be with me in every disappointment, every offense, every pain, and every tear. Some of you who have lived a few years, you understand this truth. God is always there in the hard spot. He's never not there in the hard spot. Jesus Christ is so real. He is so present. He is so close and He is so satisfying, I can submit to this very difficult man that I am married to. And at one time or another, and maybe there are many times, we can be quite difficult. I understand that. I do understand that. Christian wives are not only the children of Abraham, as Romans 4 says, by faith Christian wives are also the children of Sarah because they fearlessly hope in God and they submit to their husbands. Husbands, it's your time. We finally got to verse 7. You husbands likewise live with your wives in an understanding way as with a weaker vessel, since she is a woman, and grant her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. So what is God saying here? You husbands, likewise. Likewise what? Likewise, you submit to. It's part of the mutual submission that we mentioned last week, Ephesians 5.21. It's the mutual submission of all Christians one to another, Ephesians 5.21. I want to make sure you understand this. Christian husbands are not called to submit to the authority, leadership, or headship of the wife, 
For as we have seen clearly demonstrated in the scripture, this is the unique calling of the Christian wife. But the Christian husband is called to submit himself and his agenda to the needs of his wife. I hope you hear the distinction. To the needs of his wife. He is ever attentive to the needs of his wife. Even as Jesus is ever attentive to the needs of the body. I hope you understand the distinction there. This is to be the man's agenda. The needs of his wife. This is his agenda. Given to him by God. This is what God has called us to be and do, brothers. Peter says, Christian husbands live with your wives in an understanding way, for she is a weaker vessel. The root meaning of the Greek word translated understanding is knowledge. The fundamental meaning here is men know your wives. Know your wives. On all levels, spiritually, emotionally, intellectually, and physically. Know her, and by knowing her, you know her needs. You are called to meet her needs. This is what the Lord has called Christian men to do. I looked up some synonyms for the English word understand. It means that in knowing her, you are to have insight, awareness, perception, and comprehension about what her needs are. Secondly, in knowing her, it means that you are to be sympathetic, considerate, Thoughtful, kind, accepting, indulgent, appreciative, supportive, and tolerant toward her and her needs. It's taking the time to know her. And in getting to know her, to cherish her. And to provide for her. To protect her. To insulate her. To encourage her. To nourish her. And to build her up. I hope that was in those of you who are, most of you are single here tonight. But those of you who are already married, it was in our vows, it was in Karen's vows and my vows that we, we would build each other up. And we know that in non-Christian marriage we see it so often that they're engaged in tearing each other down. But Christians are called to build each other up. Not only to be lovers, and I love this part, not only to be lovers, but to be best friends. Right? Yeah, I'm supposed to love my wife, but I don't always have to like her. But I do. To be best friends, beloved. It's, it's an awesome thing. <laughs> it's an awesome thing to not only love your spouse, to not only love your wife, men, but to like your I can't stand it when Karen goes up and spends the night with Rachel. I miss her so much. I do. I'm pathetic. There ain't no sunshine when she's gone, I'm telling you. It's awful. I just roll up into a ball in the corner. If it weren't for God, if it weren't for God's strength, I would be in a, in a fetal position pretty quick. I, I love to be with her. She's my best friend. I, don't want, I would rather be with her than anyone. This is how I feel and I think this is what God has called us to. Let me give you John Piper's definition of Christian's husband's headship. It's very good. 
Headship is the divine calling of a husband to take primary responsibility for Christ-like servant leadership. I'm going to say that again. Christ-like servant leadership in protecting and providing for the home. The key word, can anyone guess? Christ-like. Men, Christ-like. Key word. Christ-like servant Leadership. How did Christ love the church? Someone tell me. How did Christ love the church? With everything He had. Men, that's how you were called to love your wives. With everything that you have. Do not hold anything back from loving your wife. This is your ministry before God. You are to love her as Christ has loved the church. And the parable, the image, the metaphor is unmistakable. In all humility, all selflessness, and in all sacrifice, love your bride as Jesus loved His. God says to Christian husbands in Ephesians 5, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself up for her. Paul goes on to say husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. Paul goes on to say, Husbands, love your wife even as yourself. Do you have any questions, men? <laughs> That's pretty clear, right? Everything you have is hers. Every day it's hers. Every day it's hers. It's the command of God. It's what Christian men do. It's how they live. As Christ loved the church, as the man loves his own body, as he loves himself, love your wife. Christian man, love your wife. God is calling us to love our wives with all of ourselves. Jesus is the model. I'll say it again so there's no misunderstanding. God is calling us to love our wives with all of ourselves. Jesus is our model. Capito. Good. So let me close, sort of, uh, by identifying what Christ-like servant leadership is not. Okay? This is what Christ-like servant leadership is not. It is not selfish. It is not harsh. It is not domineering. I think this is self-evident. To any truly converted man, he knows how Jesus has loved the church and he is called to love his wife in the same way. Number two, Christ-like servant leadership is not implying lesser importance for the wife. We talked about this last week, but I want to reiterate it. In fact, it's in the text here. The husband must, someone tell me, the husband must, what do, must do what for his wife? Honor. You're not, to, you're not to dominate her. You're not to abuse her. You're not to be harsh with her. You are to honor her. This is what God says to you men. Honor your wives. Honor your wives. If you don't know what it means, go look it up. Honor your wives. Every morning you get up. It's your first ministry. Honor your wife. As we said last week, this is not a matter of inferiority or inequality of the woman. It is a matter 
of the differing roles of an imp that an infinitely wise God has ordained in marriage. I know that many people don't want to hear that and they want to debate God. They want to discount what God is saying. They want to reinterpret Scripture. But what I want to say to you again, one more time, you cannot intellectually do... You, with intellectual integrity, you cannot do that. If you're going to let the words mean what the words mean, you cannot do that. Beloved, you cannot do that. Number three, Christ-like servant leadership is not... Oh, men, it is not optional. It is not optional. You can't check out on this one. You are the leader. You're not to be passive and non-committal. You're supposed to put both arms around this marriage and this family and lead it in a way that honors God. I have seen so many men in my 30-year ministry career who are simply passive in the marriage and they're passive in the family. No! Do I have to tell you this is wrong? Men are not to be passive. You're supposed to be the spiritual warrior in the house. Your wife's supposed to know it and your kids are supposed to know it. And they're supposed to love Jesus all the more because you love Him like you love Him. That's what it means to be a Christian husband. You know, if you don't measure up, don't do it. If you don't love Jesus like that, don't do it. Because God expects you to show your wife how awesome Jesus is by the way that you love Him and worship Him. Listen, I had a conversation one time. I was about to go to seminary. I was quitting my job and going to seminary. One of my colleagues was talking to me. He said, man, this is crazy, man. What are you doing? He says, he says what about your family? You know, this is nuts. What are you doing, man? What about your job? What about your, how are you going to live? What's, your, what's going to be your income? He said, I could never do that because of my family. I said, wrong! If God calls you to do it, you should do it because of your family. They need to see that Jesus is awesome enough to follow. He's God enough to follow. Your wife has to see it. Your kids have to see it. Don't use them as an excuse not to radically go with Jesus because you're supposed to show them discipleship. Man, you're supposed to live discipleship in front of your wife, and in front of your kids. Don't use them as an excuse. <laughs> if you do, God will rebuke you. He means for you. He means as you submit and give yourself to Jesus, you take your wife with you. You take your kids with you. It is not optional, beloved. It is not optional. Lastly, Christ-like servant leadership is not Equal sharing or abdication of leadership. This is self-evident from looking at the role of Christ in the church. Of course, a loving husband will always take into account the wisdom of his wife. Always. And they will pray together and they will talk about it and they will pray together and they will talk about it and they'll talk about it some more and they'll pray some more. But sometimes, a decision has to be made. And the husband is here and the wife is here. Sometimes the husband just has to make the decision against the wife's desires or preferences that he is convinced before God is right. Sometimes that's what it means, men. You have to lead. And you have to lovingly bring your wife and your kids along. Leadership's not optional. It's not optional. And you're not to abdicate that position 
in the family. So as I warned the ladies last week, I'm going to warn you men, be careful what you do with this text. And the other texts in the New Testament talking about your headship. You will give an account to God. I will give an account to God. Do not abuse abuse this exhortation for your own selfish advantage. And do not ignore it and become passive within your own home. Did you notice? Let me ask you, men, are your prayers being answered? It may be because you are not leading, loving, serving, and honoring your wife. Do you see the text? God says, men, I want you to do this I want you to love my daughters like this. That your prayers may not be hindered. Honor my daughters. They are your fellow heir of grace. Honor them that your prayers may not be hindered. God basically says to the Christian husband, if you will not listen to me and love your wife like that, then I will not listen to you. And your prayers will be hindered. Listen, men, far more, than, far more important than success in your career is success in your marriage. You only have to answer to your boss at work, but you have to answer to God in your marriage. Men, you have to answer to God. Your wife is your most important ministry. She is your most important minister. You claim to be a disciple of Christ. Love her. Love her. And give yourself to her. You guys know how the movie Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves ends, don't you? You guys will have to go check this movie out. But um, Lady Marion is taken captive by the evil sheriff of Nottingham and is being forced to marry him against her will. And Robin gets wind of this. Robin has himself catapulted over the castle wall. He fights through about a dozen of the king's soldiers. He grabs some banner and he jumps off the roof of the castle and it swings him right through a window. And the sheriff of Nottingham is there and he fights him to the death and he kills the sheriff of Nottingham. You know what happens, right? Lady Marion and Robin, they fall together. And they kiss and they hug. And it's awesome. <laughs> right? And she says, you came for me! And he says, I'd die for you. You've heard this story before? Right? It's the plot line that Hollywood copies in almost every movie. The warrior shepherd God has come for his bride and he has died for her. He has died for her. Men, that's how you're supposed to love your wives. I mean, you don't have to learn to shoot a bow and arrow or anything, but this is how we are called to love our wives. This beautiful, sacred romance of Jesus and His bride. It is a picture of Christian marriage. 
Christian husbands that are wholly in love with and devoted to their Christian wives. And Christian wives who are wholly in love with and submissive to their Christian husbands. You can disagree with me all you want. You can try to reinterpret this all you want. You can redefine your terms. You can play fast and loose with the Greek, but this is God's Word. This is the Word of God. This is what is at stake in Christian marriage. Ephesians 5, 23 through 20. Pardon, yes, Ephesians 5, 23 through 25. God commands for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church. He Himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself up for her. That's your job, men and women. You say, well, Jim, I'm not married. Well, one day you may entertain the prospect and now you know what God commands of you. You say, well, Jim, I prefer my singleness. Well, so did Paul. <laughs> and he applauds it. Many are called the singleness. And that's celebrated in Scripture. But our text tonight, it's addressing Christian men and Christian women who come together in holy marriage. God is clear. I know the media sends a different message. I know that many corners of what is called Christendom sends a different message. But you cannot read that and not come away with that clear understanding. You simply cannot do it. Let's pray together. Father, we, as always, thank You for Your Word. Lord, thank You that it's clear. It's not always easy, but it's clear. We thank You that really You leave us with no confusion on this matter. It looks big on both sides of the equation. It looks big to the men and to the women. How could we ever love our wives like You have loved us? And how could the wife ever love her husband as the church rightfully loves Jesus? It seems too big. But we understand that we can do these things in Your power. We do these things in Your power. We do these things because You're God. We do these things because You're the kind of God You are. We know that in obedience we will find joy. And in disobedience we will not find it. I pray for each wife here tonight, Lord, 
I pray that she would look at you and love you so much that she could submit to her very difficult husband. And I pray for each man here that we could look at you, Lord, and love our wives as you have modeled love. Sometimes to a very difficult woman. But Lord, thank you that you called us to this. Thank you that we are caught up in this great parable. I pray, Father, that we would live it out in such a way that you are honored and that unbelievers see the beauty and the power and the sufficiency of Jesus. We pray all this in his name. Amen. Thank mm-hmm. you.